friends, your host Billy Dean Shoemate III here, and welcome back to another episode of Strange Places. This podcast is brought to you by Asylum 817 Productions, Prevail Guitar Works, Spotify, and DistroKid. Wow, I know, right? Moving up in the world. So, yeah, there's a lot to unpack here. Let's just let's just do it. <laughs> let's just dive right into it. No for, no foreplay. Let's just go. Tartini is unfortunately not the household name that I think he should be. We're going to get into who Tartini is here a little bit later. But Tartini was a classical musician, born 1692, died 1770, Italian composer and violinist of uh, the Baroque period, which was like kind of the rebel period of classical music composed over a hundred pieces of the violin. I mean, this guy was, he was the real deal. Very, very talented musician. And depending on who you ask, Robert Johnson may not have been the first musician to make a deal with the devil himself. There's an older legend that goes way back to the time of Tartini himself, Giuseppe Tartini. Now, there's going to be a lot of Italian words in here. <laughs> so uh, I know I have listeners in Italy. I, uh, please don't take it as a sign of respect, uh, of disrespect. Um, I'm going to mispronounce a lot of stuff, so I'm going to try my best. What we're going to focus on primarily is a piece of music that he wrote. The Violin Sonata in G Major, known more famously as the Devil's Trill Sonata. It's a work for solo violin by Giuseppe Tartini. Died 1770. It's the composer's best-known composition. Notable for its... Uh, depends on who you ask. It's technically difficult or downright impossible passages to play. Typical performance of this lasts about 15 minutes. And even the greatest violinists in the world say they can't make it but a couple of minutes into it. Just some kind of background. Tartini allegedly told the French astronomer, uh, 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 see, you know I'm going to mispronounce stuff because I'm, <laughs> believe it or not, when I was a kid, I had a really bad stutter. Uh, sometimes it comes back. But uh, Tartini allegedly told the French astronomer Jerome Lalande that he had dreamed that the devil had appeared to him and had asked to be Tartini's servant and teacher. Yeah. At the end of the music lesson, Tartini handed the devil his violin to test his skill which the devil began to play with amazing virtuosity, delivering an intense and magnificently beautiful performance. So singularly beautiful and executed with such superior taste and precision was the devil's performance that the composer was just breathtaking. The complete story is told by Tartini himself in Lalande's Voyage de Fun Francois en Italie, I believe. But uh, it's, it states, and this is verbatim, One night in the year 1713, I dreamed I made a pact with the devil for my soul. Everything went as I wished. My new servant anticipated my every desire. Among other things, I gave him my violin to see if he could play. How great was my astonishment on hearing a sonata so wonderful and so beautiful, played with supernatural intelligence as I had never even conceived in my boldest flights of fancy. I felt entraptured, transported, enchanted. My breath failed me, and I awoke. 
I immediately grasped my violin in order to retain, in part at least, the impression of my dream. In vain. The music which I at this time composed is indeed the best that I've ever wrote, and I still call it the Devil's Trill. But the difference between it and that which so moved me is so great that I would have destroyed my instrument and have said farewell to music forever if it had been possible for me to live without the enjoyment it affords me. So Tartini even said, in his own words, what I wrote isn't even close to what the devil played, but this is the best I can remember. Mesmerized by the devil's brilliant and awe-inspiring playing, Excuse me, Tartini attempted to recreate what he heard. However, despite having said that the Sonata was his favorite, Tartini later wrote that it was so inferior what he ended up with. What he claimed he composed the Sonata in 1713, scholars think it was likely composed around 1740s, actually, due to its stylistic maturity. But it's Galatin idiom, right? It's between the Baroque classical periods. It wasn't published until 1798, 1799, 30 years after Tartini died. But there are, uh, there's enough evidence out there, scholarly evidence, to say that this was indeed written when he said it was written. Tartini was very, very serious about his craft. He knew how to market himself. He was very, and we'll get into that. He was very wise with, um, publicity really smart guy knew how to market himself so there's probably some wiggle room there but we have every reason to believe that he said when he wrote it that's when he actually wrote it it's kind of a fringe theory that when he didn't because i guess the scholarly elite and i'm not the only first i'm not the first one to say this the scholarly elite just cannot handle <laughs> a guy who was that ahead of his time. I mean, when The Devil's Trill came out, I mean, it was like, okay, just imagine if, like, picture the Memphis 50s, Elvis Presley, Motown, Little Richard, and <laughs> I'm not even going to go Black Sabbath. Let's say Cannibal Corpse comes out and makes a song. You know, it was that uh, abrupt and that just crazy to them. The Sonata it's known as, even with some of the greatest violins alive, violinists alive today, they say, you know, again, that this is extremely hard to play, if not downright impossible. Some of the greatest violinists alive, they have to alter certain things because this, this just goes beyond noodly. If you look at the sheet music for it, it, it just looks like it looks like you smeared a fly on a piece of paper. I mean, it it is. It's insane. This is one of the most intricate pieces of music. Fast. It's just, it's so intricate. It's beautiful. Beautiful piece of music. But it's just madness. I mean, it's uh, it's hard to explain. It's, it's virtuosic. But it's so fast. You look at the, you look at somebody playing it today, or attempting to anyway, and their fingers look like they're just going to break. I mean, it's, it's amazing. The Devil's Trill Sonata. And that's why I say Tartini should be a household name. It's downright sad that he's not. A little bit more on him. Because this is important. April 8th, 1692 in Pirano. Then part of the uh, Republic. But today part of Slovenia. So let me skip ahead just a little bit. Because I want to focus on the selling the soul thing. Which we thought originated around that time of Robert Johnson. Turns out... It's a much older story than we thought. 
So he grasps his violin. Okay, I got all that. Okay, so the contemporary musicologist Charles Burney called the Devil's Trill Sonata a triumph of the imagination. But some of the best stories have a real connection to life, they say. Tartini was destined to become a monk, and he was sent to Padua and placed under the tutelage of the local friars. Dressed as a priest, he participated in church services at the cathedral, but in his spare time, he much preferred to dabble in the art of fencing and devoted his time to the study of music. He fell in love with a woman from a really poor neighborhood, which really pissed off his father. Tartini nevertheless married Miss Elisabetta, and it was soon discovered that his bride had been the lover of the Cardinal of Padua. Cardinal Giorgio Canaro was a powerful man, and he reacted violently, brought a, change of abduction, a charge of abduction against Tartini. Yeah, charged him with abducting her. When the local police were actively searching to arrest him, Tartini escaped the city and took refuge in the monastery of the Franciscan monks. <laughs> he was kind of a legend in his day. I mean, even the stories about the guy, he was, he was pretty... He was a mysterious guy, and he had all these crazy stories connected to him. Just kind of a rock star, you know, a rock star before the rock star existed. And that would kind of dive into what his reputation became, which we'll get into. No doubt he had must have had plenty of spiritual experiences in the monastery, but scholars believe the this work was composed in the 1740s due to its stylistic maturity. But you know what? I've seen this kind of thing before. Someone who was so psychotically ahead of their time that it's like the scholarly elite with music just can't handle it. Now, what's crazy is much later in life, Tartini wrote this. This is another quote from him. The Devil's Trill Sonata was so inferior that if I could have subsisted on other means, I would have broken my violin and abandoned music forever, thereby kind of strengthening what he had said, you know, years before. In the event, the work wasn't published, like I said, until 1799, 30 years after he died. More so than the music, the well-known story of the origin of the sonata kind of kept this whole thing alive. The tale was prominently retold in the late 19th century by the Russian mystic and author Helena Petrova Blavlatsky, better known as Madame Blavlatsky. She co-founded the um, Theophysical Society in 1875. She was, depending on who you ask, was either a sage or a charlatan. In the event, her theophysical doctrines influenced the spread of Hindu Buddhist ideas. I mean, she was a heavyweight. She's credited with spreading a lot of this, these religions to areas that would have never heard it. She was no dummy. This is a very interesting story. Perhaps the original story of the musician making a deal with the devil. And then, and then Tartini kind of developed his own reputation. A reputation that <laughs> we still talk about today. People that know who he is anyway. Tartini was a very tall, really lanky man. Really spidery looking fingers. And scholars are even wondering if he had any kind of medical ailment that would cause him to look that way. I mean, he was... Ex then they haven't, you know, decided on anything. There's nothing really concrete. But Tartini was very tall, really lanky, had kind of a ghostly appearance, really pale. And a lot of people think that he played it up, you know, because the, the devil legend, I mean, once that came out, he was packing houses like crazy. There are people in the audience that had claimed that he would take on an otherworldly glow, that they would see 
a shadow alongside his as he played. But the shadow wasn't his. It was a tall horned creature. A lot of people said that even the musicians that would play with him on stage would say that they would see hoof prints wherever he walked. Like, uh, you ever see uh, like condensated hoof prints? You know, have you ever see uh, the Sixth Sense? You know, <laughs> when the boy has his hands on the on the table, you know, you lay your hands on a table, the sweat from your hands, you know, you see that kind of condensation, and then it quickly dissipates, kind of like fog on glass. They would see that kind of effect, but hooven footprints, you know, on the stage right behind him where he walked. Uh, people would faint during the, you know, during the, during the performances. I mean, this is, this is, that part is 100% true. People would faint. People would be amazed at this, at his appearance. See, a lot of people, I saw a YouTube video about this and I completely agree with it. I think it was Cinemassacre, <laughs> James Rolfe. He was talking about if you watch the original Phantom of the Opera with Lon Chaney. It's a great movie. It's a classic. But is it really frightening? I mean, is it pants-shittingly terrifying? No. And the reason for that is I think we've been, con we've been desensitized to that kind of stuff. People were frightened a lot easier back then because the cinema thing was new, you know. And that ghastly appearance of Lon Chaney, that makeup still holds up today. It is some incredible makeup effects that they put on Lon Chaney. I mean, it, that, that is that reveal, you know, where she pulls the mask from him when he's sitting there playing the organ. That was making people pass out in the theaters. It was straight up, one person vomited during its opening night. You look at that now and that's pretty tame. So keep that in mind. Hellraiser hadn't been released yet. <laughs> so in the time of Giuseppe Tartini, not even Phantom of the Opera had been released yet. You know what I mean? So it was just the very fact that you see this haunting-looking guy with dark circles under his eyes, really tall, really lanky, spidery-looking fingers. And he would purposely accentuate his body... Or what's the word I'm looking for? Exaggerate his body movements while he was playing on stage. To, he, just, he played it up, you know. Pretty brilliant, really. <laughs> I would. The deal with the devil goes way back. Way back. I mean, you have to go f back pretty damn far. The first real written kind of Faustian bargain, you know, the deal with the devil, this was written in like 946. PsyOps Nova, an immersive science fiction podcast available on all podcasting platforms. After a portal to another dimension is opened with the help of CIA scientists, the Scion, and Leia, a psionic operative, a creature from the other side emerges, kills everyone, and kidnaps her. Jace, the former leader of a secret task force codenamed Nova, is called into action by Stone, head of the Scion CIA research program, to reassemble his old team, Xenia, a herald with telekinetic powers from another world, Aiden, a hulking brute with unmatched strength and Scott, a genius scientist inspired by Einstein. Together they must work to put their past aside and find inner strength that will unite them and overcome the mystery of an infectious plague with sentient capabilities that raised ancient civilizations. Controlled by a monster who defies death itself. The PsyOps Nova Podcast. A link will be provided 
in this episode's description, so check it out. Nine forty-six. Let that sink in. <laughs> Nine forty-six A.D. This is less than a thousand years after the death of Christ. The first really detailed one, ten fifty-six. This goes back, but as far as the musician ones, we always think of Robert Johnson, right? And if you look at our episode, if you go back, listen to the Robert Johnson episode. I know we rated that one kind of inconclusive, requires further study when we were still saying that. But we were able to surmise that something did happen with Robert Johnson. I don't want to go too deep into that because we're talking about Tartini here. But something weird did happen with Robert Johnson. It was inconclusive, yeah, but is this a thing? Well, this story goes back so far that it's really hard to pin down. He was already an established musician before this. He was already famous in his own right. He was a major part of the Baroque period. He, he was one hell of a musician in his day already. So it wasn't a case of like Robert Johnson, where this guy was not only not good at his instrument, but he would be booed off the stage, you know, like Robert Johnson was come back two years later with a mastery of their instrument. As I said, in that episode, as a musician myself to master an instrument like that in two years, that is impossible. That's supernatural on its own, but we don't have that with Tartini. Yes, he played it up. He liked the legend. A lot of people think he invented the legend himself. Well, considering how much he liked to play it up. <laughs> yeah, he probably did. But just the, it, this is one of those where it kind of depends on what our question is. Did the devil appear to Tartini and give him this piece of music? If you ask musicians... And I do know a classical musician who just happens to be a violinist. Uh, <laughs> she was the uh, first chair violinist for the Des Moines, Iowa Symphony Orchestra for years. Went to school with her. Just another one of those people that just makes me want to quit music. Every time I hear her play, I'm like, yeah, I'm done. I'll never be this good. you know. <laughs> but she's aware of the devil's trill. Contacted her when I was doing a research for this. And she said, kind of refresh my memory on this a little bit. You know, send me some links. I want to see the sheet music, you know, and I sent her everything I had. Calls me back a couple hours later. She's like, this is, you have to be just beyond mastery to, to play this. And she said, you know, what's funny is all the um, you know, performances that you've sent me. And then you look in the YouTube comments or whatever saying, oh man, he nailed it. Oh my God, this is so great. She said, it doesn't even come close to what the sheet music is. They have to alter it. She's like, these are the best violinists in the world, and they have to alter this piece to be able to play it. Now, that means something. It's significant. Is it indicative of a paranormal occurrence? No, it's not. But it does raise an eyebrow. Honestly, puts goosebumps on my arms. Because if, you know, if that's true, if no one's ever played it correctly, then... None of us, you know what I mean? Are you getting what I'm saying? Like, None of us outside of Tartini's time has heard the real thing. Does music come to you in dreams? Could Tartini really have dreamed this for real, that the devil appeared to him? I'm not talking supernatural, but I'm just talking about the dream aspect. Well, hell yeah. Did you ever hear the story about Let It Be? 
This is a true story. Paul McCartney said that he was going through a kind of a rough time in his life when they were doing all that, that, that period of the Beatles. And he went to bed that night and he had a dream of his mother. He said it was so real. And he was, his mother had, you know, obviously passed by that point. And he was talking with her and kind of unloading all these problems and asking for advice and stuff. And that's what she told him. He got up immediately and wrote the lyrics down. That's exactly what she said. Let it be. And some of the lyrics in the song was, he said, word for word, what she said in his dream. When I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me. You know, saying that rely on your faith. In my hour of darkness, she's standing right in front of me. He's talking about his mother. When the broken hearted people living in the world agree, there'll be an answer. Let it be. For though they might not be parted, there's still a chance that they will see. There will be an answer. Let it be. So that's what his mom was telling him. Just let it be what it is. Take things as they come at you. Let it go. Whatever she was trying to say by those three words, let it be. He said it changed his life. Made him feel better. And look what happened. This became a major hit. Was there something supernatural here? Did he really see his mother? In a sense, he did. You know, we don't know what dreams are. We don't know what causes them. We don't know what the physical mechanism behind that is. I know we're going a, a little bit over on time probably, but this is a really interesting one. And it, it, it does pique my interest a lot. Could the same thing have happened to Tartini? Well, yeah, <laughs> of course. Music comes in dreams all the time. I've written a couple books that I immediately got up, you know, I was like, but, you know, I had to write it down. But we're talking specifically visitation, people coming to you and giving you something and you immediately waking up happened with the Beatles. Paul McCartney didn't make that shit up. You know, he was telling the truth. He saw his mom in a dream. And that's not the only case. I'm sure if I hunt long enough, I'll find other things. You know what I mean? Such a cool story about the let it be thing. But Tartini, obviously he saw the devil legend and people freaking out at his con, you know, at his performances and people fainting and shit like that. People saying that they saw the vision of the devil behind him or saw this or saw that. I'm not saying anything nefarious was happening here, but I wouldn't put it past, <laughs> you, know, you know, the orchestra hall or wherever they were playing, you know, at the time to maybe rig something up, you know, just to play to fill the seats. I would <laughs> as a businessman, uh, that would be a really I don't know if I could do it morally, especially at that time when people were really superstitious. Not a bad idea, <laughs> but he played it up and he took it as. Hey, this is this is built-in marketing right here. Did he invent the story? I don't think so. I know this is opinion, but I don't think he invented the story. Because at that time, he didn't know. Nobody knew. I mean, this is just common sense. We do common sense a lot on this show, right? Common sense. If you just look at it for what it is. He didn't know. Nobody knew the devil legend would like skyrocket his career and turn him into. He was already a bit of a rock star. Yeah, he didn't need this story, really. But nobody knew that this devil story would catapult him to such amazing heights. I mean, this guy, seriously, this guy was the Michael Jackson of his day, man. I hate to make that comparison because you can't get any two people farther apart than Tartini and Michael Jackson. But I mean, in terms of fame. 
what I'm getting at is that nobody knew that this devil story would be as big as it was. Why would he invent something, you know, before seeing any kind of results from it? And saying something like this, I mean, that was career suicide back then. Yeah, would have interested people and piqued some people. But I think once it happened and that story got out, Tartini was like, oh, hell yeah, <laughs> we got built-in marketing here. I don't think he came up with it beforehand. Nobody knew that it was going to be big. And yeah, it is, even at that, at that time especially, career fucking suicide. But that's just opinion. I might be wrong. And I know we don't do opinions on the show, but common sense, man, goes a long way. I totally believe the story that maybe he dreamed the devil and he heard this amazing piece of music in his head that was just supernaturally, you know, really well played. And he got up and wrote it down the best he could. Of course, it's not going to be as good. In your dreams, I mean, everything is different. All of your senses are going haywire. Just think about your dreams. Think about the wildest dreams that you've had for a second. <laughs> I've heard music in dreams before that I got up and tried to recreate it. It's never the same. I can tell you what songs that I've written that, I, that I've done that. You hear something in the background or in your dream. I've done this. You go to a bar or a club or something in your dream, you know, or you go to somebody's house and there's this music playing that you've never heard. And you get up, try to write it down. It's never the same. Because in the dream world, you know, anything goes. Anything goes. I totally believe that he woke up and what he wrote wasn't even close to what the devil or this dream of the devil did. But the reason why, the major reason why we tackled Tartini and the Devil's Trill in this episode is because people swear, much like Robert Johnson, that this piece of music is impossible to play. Sadly, we'll never know for sure. There was no way to record you know, Tartini playing it. There are unverified accounts of some violinists playing it note for note. But conveniently or unfortunately, depends on how you look at it, those performances in question were not recorded. I'm a musician. I can read sheet music. And I got to tell you, I watched so many performances of The Devil's Trill. I haven't watched all of them, granted, but I watched the major ones. Oh, man, I watched... Oh, my God. When I research, I research, boy. Trying to look at The Devil's Trill sheet music and, and listen to the performance at the same time, there's always an alteration. What was it about Tartini that he was able to play this? Now, there are no reports saying that he altered the music. Would there be any reports of that? Honestly, I don't think so. People were educated back then. Oh, just think about this, okay? If you had a favorite song back in this time period, you would probably hear your favorite song maybe once or twice in your entire life. And that's if you had money. Because the only way to hear your favorite song would be to go see it perform. What are you going to do? Go to Best Buy and buy the album? Are you going to download it on your iPod? You're going to walk around with a band who has 100 songs memorized like <laughs> some Middle Eastern dictator? You know, that, was, that didn't exist. You were only going to hear your favorite song probably once or twice in your entire life. 
So would people outside of that industry really know if he was altering the music? You wouldn't find any written accounts of it. And the people that were putting on these performances and the people performing with him, that's the last thing they're going to write. Why would they do that? Especially when they have such a good thing going. Oh, Tartini, you know, he didn't really play the double show. He altered it. So even if he did, if he himself couldn't play it and wrote the music down as best he could, Tartini, that really wasn't his style, though. But we're, again, we're getting into the realm of speculation. I don't know if Tartini himself was able to actually play this piece. Sure as hell wrote it. And I got to tell you, this is, this is a masterful piece of music. Sometime, go look up the Devil's Trill sheet music, especially the really crazy parts. You look at it, and even if you can't read music, just pretend that these are notes. You know what I mean? It, it's just, it, I've never seen sheet music like this before. There should be a new kind of sheet music invented just for this because it's just, it's a mess. <laughs> it's a beautiful mess. But you look at it and you're like, how the hell is that possible? This one, we're going to have to chalk up as inconclusive. But I often go back to, especially lately, the question. What is the question? Not my question, yours. What's your question of this thing going in? Are we asking on Strange Places, did the devil really appear to Tartini Give him a piece of music. He woke up and wrote it. And it's somehow cursed that no musician except Tartini, because there is a curse associated with this piece of music. I didn't tackle this earlier because the curse is very, very basic. I could explain it in one sentence. Nobody can play the thing except Tartini. Nobody. And much like any deal with the devil, what did Tartini ask for? If you were a musician, what the hell would you ask for? Your name to be known for all time. That's what Robert Johnson wanted. Robert Johnson wanted, according to the legend, right? Robert Johnson wanted to be known as the greatest guitar player who ever lived. And he's considered such. He wasn't the first guy to play the blues, but Robert Johnson is synonymous with the blues, and that's all that matters. History is written by the winners. Sorry, but that's how it is. I don't agree with it, but that's how it is. We associate Robert Johnson with the blues. Rock and roll. Boogie woogie. Rockabilly. Heavy metal. It all came from his reputation, all of it. He is probably the most important musician of all time. Rock and roll on its own, heavy metal, what he did, that's supernatural on its own. I don't care what you say. But Tartini, we, we don't know if the devil really appeared to him or not. We don't know if he was able to play this piece of music or not, but sure shit wrote it. Is it feasible that he had a dream that the devil played this piece of music for him? Oh, of course. I've had wackier dreams than that. <laughs> you don't want to hear them. <laughs> My mind is uh, different. But you, you know, you've had the dreams too. I've had dreams way wackier than that. I've had dreams where I woke up and I heard some piece of music somewhere and never heard it before. Tartini was a very interesting individual. Masterful musician. And he wrote a piece of music that we're going to be, that's, you know, that's just, there's a legend attached to it. And that legend's going to be around forever. Sadly, he lived in a time where I think this is one of those that I hope I'm wrong, that we'll never see any evidence, whether it was supernatural or not. There was just not enough resources in that time period to have any kind of real evidence as to what was really going on. Inconclusive. It's a complete mystery. I would 
love to eat my words someday and see a violinist play this thing note for note. I haven't seen it yet. Hopefully, somebody out there one day can. But I have some advice for you. Don't make a deal with the devil. Don't do it. Get as close as you can and be happy with what you got. And that's all, friends. Special thanks to this week's sponsors who make this show possible. Make sure to check out the link to our Patreon page in this episode's description, where as little as a dollar a month, you can get everything from bonus episodes, ad-free episodes, giveaways to certain tiers, outtakes, bloopers, uh, podcasts just for the patrons. Come on, just for you guys? That's insane. Special thanks to the patrons, by the way. The Conkle Homestead YouTube channel, Donald Haynes, Kristen Belt, Dillagaff. This show wouldn't exist if it wasn't for you guys. And all the listeners out there, I appreciate you. Thanks for coming back, and we'll see you next week, all right? Now, are we ever going to run out of strange places to talk about? I don't think so. Because every town has a strange place, and maybe one day, we'll visit yours. The Strange Places Podcast is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a music label for truly independent artists. They will distribute and share your music on every streaming platform the internet has to offer. And the best part is that you keep all of your royalties. In fact, DistroKid has made history, marking the first time that an artist on the charts made 100% of their earnings. This is the music industry's worst nightmare, giving indie artists complete control over their art. For only 20 bucks a year, you can upload unlimited music and with the split feature, you can split a percentage of the earnings to your bandmates. If you click the affiliate link in this episode's description, you get 7% off the first year. But did I mention that after that, it's only 20 bucks a freaking year? I've been a musician for a long time. My music is heard all over the world and yours should be too. Click the link in this episode's description to not only support Strange Places, but put control of your own music back into your hands. No contracts, no hidden clauses, no lovely coin men in their lovely, lovely suits. Thanks to DistroKid for being a sponsor and giving this old dog an audience.